are listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast that features trailblazers in entrepreneurship, investment, and innovation. I'm your host, Rihanna Shah, recording from Stanford, California. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and like us on Facebook. You're listening to Venture Vignettes. I'm your host, Rihanna Shah, and today we're chatting with Doug Galen. Doug is co-founder and CEO of RippleWorks. Doug is a lecturer at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and sits on the nonprofit boards of Heifer International and Positive Coaching Alliance. Prior to RippleWorks, Doug served as Shopkick's Chief Revenue Officer, Shutterfly's SVP of Business and Corporate Development, eBay's VP and GM of New Ventures, and employee number three as Vice President of Sales and Business Development for publicly traded Elon. Thanks for being on the show today, Doug. Brianna, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. So to start out, would love to hear about your background. It sounds like you've done a lot of stuff in the finance space, in e-commerce and retail space, and now you're working with a lot of nonprofits. So what has that journey been like, and what is it that's brought you here? Well, you just described career two, which was consumer-oriented, <laughs> trying to make life better for consumers. Career one was a real estate career, of all things. I bought real estate around the country, <laughs> and I got bored with that because I was buying things, <laughs> and I wanted to build something. Hmm. So I met Chris Larson and Janina Palowski, and we started Elon, and hmm. that's when I fell in love with building something. We built a company, and so then went on and did the others. And that was career two. And then we all grow. You know, every decade or so, we learn more about yeah. ourselves. And towards the end of career two, where I was working at Shopkick, and we were building an awesome mobile shopping app with mm-hmm tens of millions of users and lots of revenue, I realized that helping people shop wasn't going to be my end all. So (laughs) it was time to make a change, although my wife and I loved to shop, but wanted something else for my career. And so that was the launch of Career 3, which was social impact. And that's the career I'm in the middle of now. And what exactly is RippleWorks Foundation, right? Because it's connected to Ripple and some of the work they do. So we'd love to hear your perspective on what is it that you guys do and what's the connection like with Ripple itself? Yeah, so we started RippleWorks 3 years ago, and my co-founder of RippleWorks is the co-founder of Ripple, Chris Larson, who Mm -hmm. we built that first fintech company, eLoan, that we took public. And so Chris was thinking about at Ripple how to... The the promise of blockchain is to do good in the world. And so he was thinking about, well, how do I actually own up to that? And that it was by creating a foundation. And I was in the middle of figuring out what I want to do with my career on social impact, and we decided to reunite the band and come back together and start the foundation. We didn't know exactly what we wanted it to do three years ago. And that was part of my job is to go figure it out. But we knew a couple of things. One, we wanted to focus on innovation. Two, we didn't want to be a me too company. We wanted to do something that was different and unique. And we wanted to help entrepreneurs. So that's what we started with. And then I went out and met with entrepreneurs all around the world. I mean, you know, at GSB, I'm all about human-centered design and lean startup. And so I went and met with people. And every time I met with a venture capitalist or a foundation, they said, hey, do you know any more good companies you could bring to us to back? And I soon realized that Mm -hmm. while we think capital is this this scarcest constraint, it's not. Capital is looking for more places to put to use. So why aren't there enough companies? It was talent. There just isn't enough talent spread around the world yet. Or better put, there's not enough experience Hmm. spread around the world. And that's what we decided to focus on in RippleWorks is help expand the talent base around the world. Hmm. That's really fascinating. And and also full disclosure of your listeners, Doug was uh, one of my professors at Stanford's Startup Garage class. So And uh, everyone, Rihanna did quite well, by the way. She embodied <laughs> human-centered design, so she was good. I'm glad I didn't flunk out. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that's excellent. It's super interesting that you mention sort of this lack of exposure, right? Because as someone who's also built a company when I was in college and, and was building something in India and in a lot of emerging economies across the world, it's hard to find the sort of mentorship that you might find in Silicon Valley, which, in my opinion, was one of the hardest parts of trying to figure out what it is that I'm building. So how exactly are you solving for this problem? How are you giving more exposure or how are you able to match this talent up? Yeah, we gave this a lot of thought of how do you improve the experience of people around the world. That's a generational question. And so we're investing in supporting organizations that over the next five years, 10 years, will substantially upskill workers. And that's awesome. But what about the entrepreneurs right now who in the next year need to solve problems. And that's a whole different solution than supporting companies over five years, 10 years, or a generation. So what we found, and as, as someone like myself who needed help, is I don't need mentorship. I need to solve a specific problem. Hmm. And so then we thought about, well, what the specific problem could be I need to expand my call center. I need to employ data science. I need to do customer acquisition, and I'm not doing it well. I don't know how to upskill my middle management team. And so we decided that we would create projects to solve very specific problems. It would have a start. It would have an end. It would be um, focused on clear objectives and deliverables. And then something I learned before we took Shutterfly public is I got to run and create our foundation there. And I'll never forget this day. We took a bunch of our employees to a local high school here in Redwood City, California, under-supported school. Um, they needed help with IT. They needed help with fundraising. And what we saw is we brought all our employees over. We spent the whole day building uh, or actually cleaning graffiti off of their walls. We didn't touch an IT wow. system. We didn't help with any marketing. And to the credit of the Shutterfly employees, they got pissed at me. Hmm. Like, what a waste. Hmm. So coming back to what do we do, I realized that here are these companies that need help, specific help. And there are a ton of people around the world who would love to give back if you could create a better way for them to give back. And that's what RippleWorks did, is we created a better, tangible, concrete-based way to help CEOs scale their company with talent begging to volunteer and help. Hmm, that's really incredible. Actually, now that you mention it, I remember the one of the first uh, public companies I worked for that was pretty big. And this was after my startup got acquired. And I remember we were working on all these projects for a, lot, a ton of different nonprofits in the area. And I was like, wow, if I had known as an entrepreneur that there were these folks who are talented in graphic design and branding and figuring out how to do these things and do them for a living, it would have made my life so much easier than trying to figure everything out from scratch because you're already doing so much of that and you're strapped on cash. So you don't really want to pay someone a ton of money to do it, but you do want it to look good if you want your company to work. And how do you get those people to do it in a constructive way that I can actually take that great resource and put it to use? Hmm. A lot of nonprofits want help, but if you bring in a rock star who can help them, a lot of organizations don't, don't have the capacity to execute on that. So you yeah. have to be really careful or thoughtful about how you'd go about this. Yeah, definitely. How do you recruit the talent right now to help out some of these entrepreneurs? Or do you have uh, corporate partnerships? Or how are you making that happen? Yeah, we uh, go direct to people. So mm. we don't go through corporates. It's easier just to go to the humans, just to the people. So two-thirds of all of our experts come from one to two to maybe three degrees of separation of our existing expert base. Mm -hmm. So we put out a call for a specific project. A uh, company in Nigeria needs help building a data science team because they're going to help everyday Nigerians become developers and immediately put them into the middle class. And so we put a call out for that, and then we get people to come in, and we vet them. 
So not everybody who asks to be a volunteer can be in the program. As much as we would love to accept everybody, we have a very high bar. So two-thirds comes from that. And then one-third, we actively go out and recruit. So if we get some edge case requests, then we have a recruiter who will go out. We have a head of talent and identify amazing people that we'll bring in. I got one great story, example of that is yeah. a company in Kenya, in Nairobi, is collapsing the food chain from farm to consumer. Food chain has six different stops in it. It can increase the food cost by 30%. And that is the difference being able being able to eat or not eat. So this organization, Twiga Foods, figured out how to collapse this, and they needed help with their supply chain. Not just a supply chain, a grocery supply chain. Not just a grocery supply chain, perishable grocery supply chain. Hmm. And someone who was innovative in supply chain. Okay, innovative in supply chain usually don't go in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't have that person. So we had to figure out who would that be. And we mm-hmm. sat around and we thought about it. And we said, hmm, a company like Blue Apron, mm-hmm. new, innovative supply chain around the country, perishable groceries. So we reached out to the head of their supply chain. Guy's been in grocery for 20 years, Poplo. And he was stunned that someone would ask him to apply his supply chain expertise in Africa that literally would feed people. Wow. That's a really great story. It seems like it's something where if you do actually reach out to people who do have the specific skill set, it's almost the next level of volunteering and it's almost the next level of feeling connected to this organization, right? Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. So speaking of, it sounds like you're doing a lot of technology work or it sounds like you're focusing on at least some emerging technologies around the world. What are some of the main types of technology you've seen be super popular around the world? What's the hype right now? Let me unpack those questions. What's the hype? The hype right now is data science, Mm -hmm. without a doubt, which is how do I use data to make more informed decisions? That's number one. And the reality is a lot of organizations don't know exactly what they mean Hmm. when they say data science. Mm -hmm. And really, if they just go back to simple experimental frameworks, that'll get them half the way. So half of the hype of data science is totally valid and half of it is truly hype. Of course, you can't go to a cocktail party, you can't talk to a Lyft driver, I can't talk to my dentist without talking about blockchain. So that's another area of total hype. AI, machine learning are areas of hype, but what most entrepreneurs need and most people around the world is a lot less tech hype and a lot more basic experimental frameworks, prototyping, making decisions quick, being able to do A-B testing. Those are the types of things that in a lot of part of the world would be considered technology advances because they don't have those frameworks on how to do those things. Fascinating. So I know you've done a ton of work around blockchain. You recently uh, published a case study along with the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And I'd love to talk a little bit about what is blockchain? It's something everybody's heard about. Everybody feels like they need to learn about so they can implement it in whatever they're doing. But obviously, it's not right for everyone. So could you talk a little bit about what your understanding of blockchain is? My fascination started, obviously, because RippleWorks was funded by cryptocurrency through Ripple, and we're an independent organization, and then this cryptocurrency blew up in value, and now we are Mm -hmm. a sizable foundation doing amazing things. But I honestly was really curious about, is it hype or is it reality? And so I wanted to dig in and understand that. So we can talk about that later. But when I try to break down for my 94-year-old mom, who you've met uh, (laughs) in one of your research projects uh, (laughs) through Stanford, was how how could I explain it for them? And I'll, I'll give it a shot, which is... Is first of all, 
cryptocurrency and blockchain are two different things. Mm -hmm. So it's important that everyone gets that. Then cryptocurrency, we all think of Bitcoin. So 2008, this concept of digital cash came into play. We think of it as PayPal or Venmo um, is a form of digital cash. But the reality is even PayPal and Venmo goes through banks, has fees, takes time. And so Bitcoin came around and changed that and allowed you to make peer-to-peer -peer transactions and eliminate a middleman. Very cool, really powerful. And that's what cryptocurrency is. There's now 1,500 of these cryptocurrencies, which is crazy. So that's wild. We know that 1,400 of them will go away um, at some point. Now, if you think of an iceberg, if you've ever seen an iceberg, a picture of an iceberg, about a quarter of it is above water and four-fifths of it is below water. Cryptocurrency is what's above water. But what's below the surface is blockchain. And that's really interesting. And blockchain is simply put, is a place where transactions are logged. They are then combined into blocks. And then those blocks are linked into chains. And that's where the term blockchain came. When that happens, the information can't be tampered with unless the whole world sees it, which eliminates the ability to tamper with it. So that's the fundamental concept of what is blockchain. Interesting. One of the things I've heard is that it's different from spreadsheets or data center records in a way that if one person is editing a record, other people can't really look at the entire spreadsheet at all, or they can't really edit the entire spreadsheet. And so I've heard that blockchain is sort of a way to do all of these transactions all at once and make all these changes without really worrying about the integrity of the data. Yeah. And you're getting to half of it, which is totally right on. And then the other half is we read about Experian getting hacked with our credit information. We read about Target mm -hmm. getting hacked with our credit information. You know, every week there's something new. Yeah. Now with the blockchain systems, there's no one place to go to hack them. They're decentralized. They're stored on all these machines. So there's no one place to go. And so now you can't go hack because there's nowhere to go to hack. And that's phenomenal. That has great promise for us. That's really fascinating. So what would you say is the promise of blockchain, especially for social entrepreneurs or for emerging economies? Because I've almost seen blockchain be used much more in, in India, for example, or in some other emerging economies than I've seen it be used here in America just yet. So I can answer that two ways. One is there are four promises of blockchain, and then we can go and even talk about the research that we did. The four promises of blockchain if anything that you are trying to solve as an entrepreneur fits into these four categories, you should consider blockchain. If not, move on. It's just hype. But the four areas are, the first is transparency. So today, uh, $143 billion in aid is sent around the world. 30% of it's lost. Hmm. Wow. Stolen. Taken. Gone. So transparency would eliminate that 30%. 50 billion more dollars would be available for the poor. Wow. So blockchain solves transparency. The second is a fancy word, immutability, which I had to practice. <laughs> uh, immutability is basically tamper-proof fraud. So a great use case is what if you never had to worry about voting being tampered with? Mm -hmm. What if you could vote and not worry about physical safety? And so there's tremendous promise around immutability. The third is what we touched on with the origins of Bitcoin, which is reducing payment costs. So right now, any one of us in the developed world, you know, who are traveling around the world, we go get foreign exchange money transferred or we wire money to people. We pay you know, to 10% in fees. We, it's ridiculous on wiring. It takes two days, whatever. Now you can reduce or drive those costs to near zero. Hmm. And 
transfer money immediately. So that's the third benefit. And then the fourth is one of the most powerful ones, which is most of the world doesn't have a social security number. Yeah. Most of us don't have identities. Here in the United States, we're complaining that there's too much identity on the web. Most of the world doesn't have that luxury. Yeah. Two billion people are underbanked. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they had a digital identity. They could get access to so many services at more affordable rates that literally could change their lives. So the fourth is anyone interested in helping build out identities for people. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the identity piece, especially because sometimes in India we talk about how we aren't even entirely sure of how many people are in India. It's 1.2 billion is sort of a tentative number, but in a couple hundred million here or there, <laughs> doesn't really make a difference. Yeah. And so that's something that India has also been trying to do a lot of is really figure out this identity piece. And, and I think blockchain would really revolutionize that if they're able to, to get it right. Yeah. Biggest challenge of the poor is micro shocks to their lives. Mm-hmm. So a big rain comes in, ruins a crop, um, and all of a sudden their income goes down by 40% in a month. That's the average amount that an income shock can, can occur. Yeah. Imagine here, as we're sitting here in this nice studio in a developed world, if our income went down by 40%, how would we pay rent? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we couldn't. And that's what's happening out in the developing world, except in this case, it's not about paying rent. It's literally not being able to feed your child yeah. or having to pull them out of school. So trying to get access to be able to withstand microshocks is just one small example. If you had a digital identity, that could be solved. Yeah, definitely. Do you have some examples of companies that are trying to deploy blockchain in emerging economies right now? So many fun examples. Bex360. Bex360 is out of Zurich, of all places. And what they're doing is helping coffee growers. So coffee growers, um, 80% of all coffee is from smallholder coffee growers. Smallholder coffee growers are far away from being rich, and most of them don't live even at the poverty level. So what if is we are all spending more money on coffee, mm-hmm. and we are willing to spend more money if we know that it's certified, if it's organic, if, mm-hmm. it, if we know it's slave-free, all sorts of different things, then that money should fall back to the farmer. So Bex360 is taking through a, literally a little kiosk, is taking coffee in at the point of the farmer, mm-hmm. logging that it's the farmers. Then they log every step along the processing chain all the way to the consumer. And now with this full chain of what happened, mm-hmm. they can charge more for the coffee. And that can fall back to the farmer because it was logged at the very beginning of who, what farmer and the quality of the coffee beans that they submitted at that point of entry. Fascinating. So why wasn't this possible until now? And how does blockchain enable this kind of logistical nightmare with ease? Great question. It is, you know, Excel spreadsheet on steroids. I mean, there mm-hmm. just wasn't a place that you could go to log this information and feel that it was immutable, fraud-free, and it was entirely transparent. So mm-hmm. if someone tried to mess with it, you could detect it. There just was never a way to do that. That's really fascinating. Do you have other examples of folks who are using it for land rights or things like that? Because I can imagine it being applied, especially in war-torn countries or, or countries where folks aren't necessarily always sure of who property belongs to, of how they might be able to use blockchain for that. So there's a great case of an organization that did this with Syrian refugees, which was to get the money into the hands of Syrian refugees and using blockchain to do that. Thank you out of Minneapolis is creating digital identities in the mm-hmm. most impoverished countries. And so they are actually being able to cobble together your transactions because we all, everyone has a mobile phone. 
no, no matter how poor you are, you yeah. have some form of a mobile phone. From that mobile phone, there are a set of transactions. So actually going back to data science, something we talked about earlier, there are new algorithms, there's new ways that you can cobble together an identity by someone's mobile or digital transactions. And BankU is an awesome example of creating these identities that then can be used to provide basic banking services. What are some of the pitfalls of blockchain? Because people have been super curious about it. A lot of people want to incorporate blockchain in the work they're doing. But what are some of the risks? The biggest pitfall of blockchain is one that is very fundamental that I'm not going to answer the question the way you intended it. The biggest risk is you're following the hype. Mm-hmm. and that you're implementing something that isn't right for you and you're wasting your resources mm-hmm. and time because it's considered a hot cool thing. There's a company Long Island Ice Tea. Long Island Ice Tea changed its name to Long Island Blockchain Ice Tea and their <laughs> stock went up 3x. Are you serious? I mean, talk about living the hype. Yeah. So the worst thing that an entrepreneur could do mm-hmm. is fall into the blockchain hype because they think it's cool. Hmm. Ultimately, that will fail. The stock of Long Island blockchain tea came back down. It was a momentary thing. And what a waste. You know, Kodak came out with a cryptocurrency token. I mean, so actually, I'd say that's risk one. Um, risk two is it's still in development. If the most advanced and proven use case of blockchain is saving transaction fees and moving money around the world. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's ready for prime time. The next best opportunities around supply chain. So we gave the example of the coffee grower. There are so many other examples really around health and medicine. 700,000 people die a year from counterfeit malaria and polio. And so there's an organization that follows the supply chain of the vaccine mm-hmm. held at the right temperature. And so those are phenomenal opportunities supply chain monitoring, but we're still figuring out how to make sure what goes into the blockchain information that very first time is accurate that mm-hmm. you can't mess with it and that everyone's willing to play on one blockchain. Right now, as I mentioned earlier, there's 1500 cryptocurrencies, there's thousands of different blockchains and we need to reduce that number so people play yeah. on one or two or 10. Interesting. One of the things that I've also heard around blockchain is that it can be really impactful in the internet of things space. So for example, with an example where we're trying to figure out medicine temperatures and if they're staying the same, that it can be integrated with sensors and integrated with some of those uh, measures of digital transformation. I'm wondering, have you seen uh, your entrepreneurs work on something related in the internet of things space? The example you just gave is uh Ixo Foundation. Ixo Foundation is working with an organization that monitors vaccines for children in India through a company called Nextleaf and so basically they're building a pilot right now to take the internet of things information put it on the blockchain to make it totally available so that when the doctor gets the vaccine the doctor can go to the blockchain and look at the history and say yep here are all the temperatures this vaccine mm-hmm. is good it's going to work So how close are we to actually being able to make impact with blockchain? Of course there are a ton of entrepreneurs who are trying to do it who are still in pilot phase, but it seems like it's something that's still developing and still emerging. So how close are we really to being able to change the way we do business? You got to the crux of the research that I wanted to do. So we gathered a research team of seven graduate students from Stanford mm-hmm. and we analyzed 193 initiatives around the world. We based them all on being in theory for good. and so that's how we didn't look at all blockchain initiatives we looked at blockchain initiatives for good mm-hmm. of those 193 initiatives we looked at what's how, are they ready for prime time 
So what we wanted to understand in the research was, is blockchain reality or hype? And so we gathered seven different research students, grad students from Stanford, and we analyzed 193 initiatives, all blockchain for good initiatives. Mm -hmm. And we looked at them and, and, and bucketed them into the areas of promise and a variety of other things. What we found is 74% of the projects are in the pilot stage. Mm -hmm. Having said that, 56% will look like they will deliver impact on people in the next year. Wow. It was really surprising. I did not expect the number to be that high. Democracy and governance had the highest ratio of doing good really? uh, for wow. people with a little over 80%. Mm -hmm. And energy was the farthest away with about only 5% delivering on people in the next six months. The other thing that the research did was looked at reality or hype of the implementation of the technology. Mm -hmm. And so we just wanted to understand, is the technology totally transformational that whatever the solution that you're working on could only be done with blockchain? Mm -hmm. And 20% of the initiatives actually fell into that category. Mm -hmm. Then the next category was, is there a material improvement because of blockchain? Hmm. And 66% fell into that category. So that meant that 14% was left, which was hype. Total hype, yeah. didn't see the value. Hmm. That number was lower than I thought. I actually thought yeah. that the hype number was going to be higher. Yeah. So there's a lot of real, genuine efforts being done hmm. in blockchain. Hmm. Interesting. To close out, would love your advice for any entrepreneurs who are either trying to deploy blockchain or are trying to assess whether or not it might be a good fit for the type of work they're doing. Do you have any advice for them and how they should think about this? Yeah, the piece of advice that I would give is... It's all about the problem you're solving and the person you're trying to help. That's job one. If blockchain is a technology to help you solve that problem, great. But don't lead with the technology, lead with the human being. Awesome. Coming back to uh, Startup Basics 101. There That's... you go. You paid attention in class. Yes. <laughs> I did. Oh, my gosh. Excellent. Thank you so much, Doug. This was a great conversation. It was really fun, Rihanna. Thank you. To all of our listeners, thanks again for listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast dedicated to interviews with tech leaders at the forefront of innovation. For questions, comments, or requests, you can always reach me at rihanna at kzsu.stanford.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and definitely leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Rihanna Shah, signing off until next time.